When Lucy first stumbled through the wardrobe into Narnia, she discovered a snow-covered world where it was always winter and never Christmas. Have you read or heard of the Chronicles of Narnia? Of course you have. Narnia is a magical country, complete with talking animals, but it is under the spell of an evil white witch who rules Narnia with an iron thumb. She has made it always winter and never Christmas. As the stories unfolds, we hear rumors that Aslan, the rightful king of Narnia, is on the move. These rumors turn out to be true, and thus unfolds the first of seven magical adventures in the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, my opinion is that these books ought to be required reading for every follower of Jesus, for they summarize better than I can tell the four acts which comprise the big picture story of the Bible, the story of the Bible in four acts that we have been considering here the last couple of weeks. If you've been with us, you know that in the last few weeks we've been looking at this story, and you'll recall that the Bible is a four-act play. Today we will consider Act 4, but in the event this is your first time with us, let me take a moment to summarize briefly each of the acts in this epic drama, and you will see that in your worship notes there's a place that you can either take notes or sort of follow along so you can see where it is that I'm going. There are four acts in this play. When you read the Bible, you need to understand that it is a four-act play. It is an epic drama unfolding from the beginning of time all the way through until the end of time. So let's consider the four acts. The title of Act 1 is Beauty, the beauty of creation. In Act 1, we learned that creation is not an accident, not a byproduct of the, uh, of the, um, uh, the battles of the gods, but in fact, creation is a loving creation of an all-powerful God. We are not here by accident, but by design. God created the world to be a beautiful place, reflecting harmony between humans and God, between humans and one another, between humans and the created order. The world was made beautiful. This story is found in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And to a large degree, this story is also told in the Chronicles of Narnia in the sixth book of that series called The Magician's Nephew. But we know, of course, that although creation is beautiful, something has gone wrong. Everything is not so beautiful as we'd like to think. Everything is not so harmonious as we would imagine. Yes, there is beauty, but there is also horror. In fact, there is a lot of dissonance in what should be harmony of creation. That's because of act Two, the second of the four acts. What's Act 2 talk about? When we enter Act 2, we realize that creation is broken. So if we were to title Act 2, we would call it the brokenness of creation. In this part of the biblical story, we discover what has gone wrong with creation. It has been broken by human rebellion. Instead of submitting to the loving, creative rule of God, we humans have declared our independence from God. The result has been brokenness and disharmony. Yes, we want God, but we want God on our terms, which is a contradiction in terms. Either God is God or God is not God, And if we want God on our terms, we don't want God. 
As a result, then every relationship of our lives is fractured. Our relationship with God is fractured. Our relationship with one another is fractured. And our relationship with this beautiful creation is fractured. So instead of developing a culture which affirms and celebrates humanity in our planet, we have developed a culture of manipulation, a culture of coercion. We idolize money and sex and power. Instead, instead of God's plan for stewardship, relationship, and servanthood. We should steward this world, but instead we try to control it through money. We should care about relationships, but instead we try to control one another through lust and sexual domination of one another. We should, we should serve one another, but instead we want to control and be in power for one another. Yes, money, sex, and power represent distortions of what God intended for us to do in terms of stewardship relationship, and servanthood. As a result, we live perpetually out of joint. Ever had a joint dislocated? I have. It is not fun. It is not fun. Everything is there. The parts are all there, but they don't work. And we know that life, though it's beautiful sometimes, is often out of joint. This problem is described in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and hinted at in the magician's nephew. But we see it specifically talked about here in Genesis chapter 3 through chapter 11. We have the brokenness of creation. Our situation is desperate. It's beautiful, yes, but it's broken. But Act 3 tells us that God has intervened into our broken condition. And so Act 3 gives to us the rescue of creation. Beginning with a man called Abram, who later was called Abraham, God called him out of paganism in Genesis 12. This story continues with Moses, a descendant of Abraham, through whom God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and culminated with Jesus, the faithful Israelite, who fulfilled the law and received in his own body the due sentence for humanity's disobedience. And the bulk of this scriptures tell this grammatic story of rescue, how that God has come for us. No other faith system gives you a rescuing God. A God who came to us. God's come for us, first of all, through Abram, then through Moses, then through the prophets, finally and ultimately through Jesus. So Act 3 is divided into two parts. Part 1, Israel and the Old Covenant. Part 2, Jesus and the New Covenant. And as I said, that begins with Genesis chapter 12 and goes all the way through the Gospels. We'll see this dramatic story of God's rescue. Like Nemo going to, excuse me, like Marlin going to find his wayward son, Nemo, who thought he could disobey his father and get too close to the reef and was cast off. Marlin said, I will not stop till I find my son. And so when we see Nemo in that little fish tank, living in an artificial environment, having a memory of a life which had been free, but feeling trapped, he discovers that his father, Marlin, had come all the way across the eastern Atlantic current and had even faced sharks Two of them, you see, this great story of rescue, a father seeking after his son. Why do we resonate to that story? Because that story resonates to the absolutely true story that your Nemo 
and your father has come to you and rescued out of this artificial environment where we worship things we shouldn't worship, where we live less than full lives when God has come to us. His name wasn't Marlon, but his name was Jesus, God embodied, our Father. You see, rescue is what we need, and rescue is exactly what God has offered us. This is the good news of the gospel. It is ultimately the story of Jesus' life and death in the gospels of the New Testament, and it is a story which dominates the stories of Lucy's first entrance into Narnia. For as you know, in order to rescue Edmund and all those enslaved by the white witch, what did Aslan have to do? He had to give his life on the stone table. Well, where does this leave us, having found ourselves beautiful and broken and now rescued? It leaves us in the middle of Act 4. Are you excited to hear about Act 4? Yeah, I'm excited to tell you about it. What is Act 4? Act 4 is the renewal of creation. Act 4 is new creation. The renewal of creation. So we had the beauty of creation, the brokenness of creation, the rescue of creation, and now this act, not yet completed, in which we're now living, the renewal of creation. This is the part of the play we enjoy right now. We're living in the time between Jesus' great rescue and his final great renewal. This is the story which begins in Acts 1, more or less, and continues all the way through the rest of the Bible, Revelation 22. This is the part of the story we take a look at today. And so this morning, I'd like you to consider it under three headings, the inauguration of new creation, the consummation of new creation, and the improvisation of new creation. Inauguration, consummation, improvisation. And if you're looking at my notes, you'll see that I have not made a typo. We're going to consider part one first, part three second, and part two third. Inauguration, consummation, improvisation. So if you said it in order, it would be inauguration, improvisation, consummation. Are you following me, Dave? I know these are big words for you. All right. All right. Have you ever noticed how, have you ever the, those little mazes when you used to fill them out and how to get from point A to point B when you were a kid? How did you get it done? You started, but then what did you do? You looked to the finish line, right? And that gave you the means by which you could navigate towards the end. Have you noticed that? You remember doing that? If you never figured that out, you were never very good at those puzzles, were you? That's what we need to do. We're in the middle of that maze. Renewal has been inaugurated. We've taken our first step. Renewal will be consummated. We need to see where it's going. Then we will know how to get there. When I was a kid, I lived in Lake Havasu City. I was one of the early residents of Lake Havasu City. I'm an Arizona native, by the way. Any Arizona natives, natives here? Yeah, see, we're proud of one of ourselves, aren't we? Especially if we're over, over 20 years old, we think, yeah. You know. Back in the dark ages when all of us were born, I was in Lake Havasu City before there were stoplights. I lived in Lake Havasu City before there was a road between Parker and Lake Havasu. I was in Lake Havasu before there was probably even a 1,000 residents. I was in Lake Havasu before there was a high school, I was in the Cavasu before any even thought about a bridge. I was there in 1967. Very young child, I should say. Seven years old. You might as well figure it out. Seven years old. And one of the things they did when they bought that bridge over is they built this English village. And if you remember that English village that was there? And one of the things that was really fascinating to me, the bridge was completed about when I was 10 or 11 years old. 
is they had this great maze. And when I was 10 or 11 years old, that maze was taller than me. Any of you remember that maze? All right. Katie, I didn't... <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, you were taller than that probably. Um, and, uh, and so we'd walk through that, and it was just fat. And I'd get in the middle of it. I didn't know where I was going. Later I looked at it, and it was easy because I could see over top of it, right? I could see where it was going. So let's consider the three parts of Act 3. Part 1 the inauguration of new creation. Now, what I'm going to do, and I don't have much time. Again, we're taking a real quick bird's eye view of this whole thing. This is the kind of story you need to read through the rest of your life, the rest of the Bible from Acts 1 all the way through the end of it. But I want to talk to you about a couple of key deals. Number one, I want to talk to you about, and you can put this down, Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day is the first great event, the inauguration of new creation. This is the day in which Jesus gave his life and rose from the dead. Whereas his, his rescue was initiated through his death, it was consummated through his resurrection. So we live in the time when God has begun new creation through Jesus. It's hinted at in the verses which, uh, which Barbara read for you. Beginning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Actually, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is what we're looking at today. I only had space to print a small portion of it, okay? So, in 1 Corinthians 1, 15, 1 through verse 21, we see that Paul is telling us that it's so significant to know that Jesus was raised from the dead. And on the back side of your message notes, you can see in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. New creation, new life, resurrection day. It's spoken of in all the gospel stories when Jesus, who had been dead, was raised from the dead. And we see this at the beginning of new creation, that Jesus shows to us that there is a future beyond our own death. I don't know if you have contemplated your own death recently. I have because we not long ago buried my father, so I'm contemplating death. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can know that there is life beyond the grave. Because Jesus was given a resurrected body, not merely a spirit, not a ghost, not a hallucination, not a consciousness, but simply a body, a resurrected body, we can know that when our bodies give out on us when they're placed in that urn or placed in that casket, that that will not be the end of us. It's not just our spirits that survive, but that someday we will be given new bodies. As the Scripture says here, imperishable bodies. I'm over 50 years old, and I can tell you, my body is no longer indestructible. You know, it used to be. I would get broken, but I'd heal really fast, you know? No, it's, it's getting worse. My eyes are getting worse. Everything's getting worse. There is the inauguration of new creation through the resurrection day. That's why John, that great gospel which we looked at for the whole past year, which reminds us of the Genesis story, tells us that Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, signaling 
new creation. Resurrection Day inaugurates new creation. The second thing under new creation is Ascension Day. We don't think about this often in our church circles, but 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says he ascended. Now, because we don't live in a land with a monarchy, we think of ascension simply as going up. Don't you think of it that way? You're standing on the mountain. He's going up. There he gets. He's going off way up high. If we lived in a monarchy, what would we know about Ascension Day? You would know, Paul, you're British, right? Or you have that background, right? It's when the queen ascends to her office. You see, it's the time when you coronate the next king. When Elizabeth was 25 years old, she was in Africa, and she got news that her father had passed away, the king. And right away, she became the new queen. And there was ascension, which she would ascend, climb up the throne. In other words, Ascension Day speaks about assuming the rightful place of control 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end or even to the completion of the age. What does this mean? When Jesus ascended, he assumed his place of rulership in this world. This world belongs to him. The, not, the, the new covenant has been inaugurated. We think of inauguration as the day the next president takes office, and then it's our job to follow that leadership. Jesus took office when he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's in charge of this world. That's the inauguration of new creation. Well, let's skip all the way to the end of this story and talk next about the consummation of new creation. The inauguration occurred at Jesus' resurrection. The consummation will occur when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns. That's what 1 Corinthians is telling us about Jesus, that Jesus was raised from the dead, but that someday he will come back and we will receive resurrection bodies like his. I would like you to think of three images to help you think about the future. The first, and each of them is a biblical image. The first one is harvest day. Harvest day. That's what's happening in, in, a, in a 1 Corinthians 15. When the, when the Scriptures tell us that as Jesus was buried in the ground and rose to new life, as a seed is planted in the ground and then births new life, you and I, when our last breath is breathed, will be planted somewhere, and someday we will receive new life. Yes, our spirits go immediately to be with Jesus, but in the meantime, but that's in the meantime, but ultimately our spirits will be reunited with resurrected bodies on a remade earth. Yesterday, I was a week or so late. Yesterday, I overseeded my lawn. Do you, know you guys have lawns and overseed your lawns? No? You guys are lame. I know. See, because I've lived here almost all my life, I kind of like grass. I've not been around it much. 
Some of you came from the Midwest, and so like that, last thing you want to do is to see grass. I understand that. We have just a little tiny pot, plot of grass, and I don't know. If growing up at Lake Havasu, as you may recall, not much grows there but creosote. It's even too hot for saguaro trees to grow. Even mesquites and pal- oh, there's palaverde, scrub palaverde here or there. Not much grows there. So I'm sort of fascinated by growing things. And so I love to overseed my lawn. And it's amazing to me. I buy this bag. It's got these little tiny, tiny things in there, and I throw it out, and it just looks to me like nothing happened. You remember that story, the guy who, didn't, who fed his goldfish, and they said only a little bit, and he gave all the goldfish, and the goldfish grew so big that he grew out of the... None of you remember that story when you were a kid? Thank you, Lori. It scared me, man. I feel like that with my um, seed, grass seed. i got to put more on there. There's no, how is grass going to come out of that? You know how it gets, happens? It gets buried in the ground. The husk is torn away. The life within it emerges, and something beautiful comes as a result. That's what 1 Corinthians is telling you. Listen to it. Verse 22, For as an Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, that's agriculture, right? The first part of the crop, that's what says it's coming. Jesus already was raised to new life. He's the first fruits. Where was I? Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, at his return, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's not just death, but rather the death of our bodies. If our bodies are not remade and new, death wins. But because we are given new bodies, the last enemy to destroy it is death. Verse, 30, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? It's like a grass seed saying, how can I become a grass? It doesn't feel like I can become one. We might ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, he says. That's not me. That's the Bible. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Harvest day, you see. So, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean just a spiritual existence, but a body energized by the Spirit. Okay. If there is, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Jesus. Behold, I tell you, you know the rest of that, right? Isn't this great? Harvest day. Yeah. The consummation of new creation when Jesus returns is that there will be great harvest day when all that has been planted now reaps a great harvest. The second image is this, birthday. Birthday. Any of you have a birthday right today or a week? Go ahead. Normally in a group this size, someone's not telling us because usually someone's got a birthday real close by, right? Birthday. That's talked about in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, this image of the future state, the end of the line, is an image of birthday. Think about this. Oh, just 
think of it. If you've ever had a child or seen your wife have a child, that's the image. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. Uh, the creation waits in eager, the creation now, that's, you know, the world around us, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The world's in labor. Do you feel the pain of it sometimes? I remember when we had our first child. Oh, it was an overwhelming experience. Out of my wife came this life. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. I don't care how you explain it biologically. It's a miraculous thing. You know it's true, don't you? You know there's something there. This is what the Bible is teaching, that out of this this birth, this world will give birth to a new world. The future world will be born out of the womb of the old. There's continuity, and yet there's discontinuity at the same time. Our children are not us, but they came from us. They bear our stamp, our gene pool. A new life emerges. Birthday. Yeah, it can be painful, too. I remember it was very painful for me when we had a baby. <laughs> I was so worked up. In fact, and this is true, the, the nurse kept asking my wife, do you need some medicine? She said, no, I'm fine. After a while, she asked me, literally, would you like some drugs? <laughs> I was pretty worked up. It looked pretty easy for her, but I was going through a lot of pain. No, of course that's not true, but it is true. They did offer me some medicine, and I did not say but I'll tell you, it was overwhelming. You see, the birth of the new world can be traumatic. There can be convulsions and contractions, but it results in life. You see, this image teaches us that what happens in the future is not the abandonment, unmaking, throwing away of creation, but simply its steady development through the drastic and dramatic birth of the new creation out of the womb of the old. That's where this story is going. You see... Well, third day. We saw harvest day. We see birthday. Now we see wedding day. These are Bible images about the future. Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Just about two weeks ago, I stood, as many of you will know, next to my son as his bride came, beautifully adorned for her husband. Oh, what a beautiful day that was. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that we don't go away from here somewhere to outer space, but that the ultimate end of the story is heaven coming to us, the bride coming down to us. It's that direction. Our faith is not an escape from this world, but rather a marriage at the end of this world. That's why when the Lord prayed his Lord's prayer, he said, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, a wedding speaks of unity, harmony, love, fruitfulness, and joy. And the Bible teaches us that God will dwell with and among his people. It will be like it was when creation was new because the Lord walked with his people. Yeah, wedding day. Aren't those great images? Harvest day, birthday. Wedding day. That's where this story is going. Now, what do we do? Part two. Last part. I have only a moment. This happens to me all the time. The improvisation of new creation through Jesus' ecclesia. We live in the middle between inauguration, looking towards consummation, in the meantime, God has given to us His Spirit. His Spirit has birthed His church. The word for church is the word what? Ecclesia. That is what God is doing, is God is trying to remake a new world right in the midst of this bad old world where the new life is birthing through us that we can begin to live like heaven today, no longer manipulating the world through money and sex and power, but instead stewarding the world, caring for one another, serving one another, developing culture which reflects. Yeah, well, I don't have time uh, so much I want to say about this. But, uh, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm having this moment where I have about 10 minutes more and I don't have 10 minutes of time. In any case, um, the thing to remember in, the, in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about the foundation which has been laid. What we are called to do is to build on the foundation which Jesus has laid for us. We're called to build culture, to build relationships, to build community on the new foundation of what Jesus has done, I like to think of it as improvisation. The time has been given to us. The chord structure is given to us. We kind of make it up as we go. We're building independence upon the Holy Spirit. We're see, we, it's like we have the architect's plans in front of us. We seek to build the building. It's like we had the composer's score written out for us. We seek to play the music. It's like we have the, written, the, 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 uh, the screenwriter's script written out for us. We seek to act out the play. It's like we have the musical score written for us. We seek to improvise according to the pattern of what God is. And we're called to be living witnesses of God's new creation. And so what you want to ask yourself is, what would it be like if Jesus were running this show? What would it be like? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to live the sacrificial life of Jesus in our community, laying down our lives for others the way Jesus laid down for us. Ours is not a triumphalistic approach. Ours is to follow the way of our master, Jesus, who loved and gave his life as a way of expressing that love for the world. Yeah, 
the end of this story is a beautiful story. There was a great consummation. There was a great inauguration. And we're living in the middle of this great improvisation. Let's go out. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow His Spirit to fill us and live through us so that we can be a little bit like heaven right here in this old world until Jesus returns. Let's pray as we close. Father, thank You so very much for this great story. Thank You that life is not a maze which goes nowhere. It's not a merely happenstance series of accidents, but that You have created this world and rescued this world and are remaking this world and inviting us to be partners with you in that. We're so thankful for that. I pray that this would give to us hope. Some of us are facing difficult times. Help us to know that nothing can steal that hope. There is a harvest day coming. There is a wedding day coming. There is a birthday coming and the Holy Spirit has already been given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing that which is to come. May we allow your Spirit to live in us and work through us so that we can be living witnesses of your new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.